Hey, we are in week two of a sermon series called You Asked For It because you asked for it. We, we over the course of three months, we um, uh, put in requests uh, for people on Facebook or through email or just in conversation. Uh, we wanted to hear from you. What, are, what is it that you want to hear preached on? What is it that you want to hear us talk about? And so last week we talked about creation. We talked about this idea that you and I were made with purpose. We were made with purpose, and every single one of us has a purpose. And so we all have questions about the how of creation, but ultimately our hearts are not longing for the answers of the how of creation. Our hearts are longing for the answers of the why of creation. Why am I here? Why was I made? Why did God make me? Why, why, what am I even doing here? And so last week we talked about this very beautiful picture of creation. And so we, we got to the heart of this question, why am I here? And, and I really believe that we found an answer in the word of God that you and I are here to give God glory. And so giving God glory is the purpose of our life. It is the function of our life. And what we learned last week from one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain is he said, the two most important days in someone's life are the day they are born and the day to discover why. And for us to discover the why of our creation changes everything. When we understand deep down that we were made to bring God glory, we were made to glorify Jesus, we are made to glorify Jesus, it changes everything for us. And so today, I wanted to address a common question that I got, and and one of the things you have to understand for me is I've been here about three and a half years, and it's been my honor, and it's been my privilege. Um but I take for granted that most of the people here today haven't been here the last three and a half years. Most of the people here are actually relatively new to this community of faith, and so I take for granted that people know my story because my first year here as pastor, I I told it so much. I told it so much that people got really sick of it. They were going, yeah, Rob, we get it. This matters to you, and here's why we understand. but then what has happened over the last two and a half years is I really haven't talked about my story much. I haven't talked about my calling or what God has done in, in my life. And so it surprised me how many people kind of said, hey, how did you know God called you into ministry? It surprised me how often that question came up of people going, how did you know that God was calling you to do this? And so I want to go ahead and preface this right up front before we get into the, the meat of the sermon today and just tell you, I'm not an expert in this. I'm not by any means an expert in this. We are having a conversation with with some of our key leaders and key volunteers on Wednesday night, and it was funny because we were having this conversation, and (laughs) Tim Campbell looked at me and he said, Rob, I want you to have the answers. And I'm like, but I don't have the answers. He's like, but you went to school and you have these fancy degrees and these certificates on your wall. And I was like, and none of them give me answers. They just tell me about the person who does have them. And I'm here to tell you what I'm going to share today is going to be hyper-personal for me. And I believe that I'm not special. I'm not I'm not special. I'm not set apart from the rest of humanity. And so what that means is 
if something is hyper-personal for me, I expect it to kind of be hyper-personal for you too, but the experiences are going to be different, and the calling's going to be different, and what your life looks like, your story, your journey is going to be different. But I believe that our stories matter. I believe that our journeys matter because I believe that you matter. And I believe that every single human being matters because every single human being was made with a purpose to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And so, week two in our sermon series, you asked for it. Why me? Why me? Has anyone else ever had that feeling? Has anyone else ever had that experience where something happens and your immediate response is, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that has to do this? Why am I the one that, how, how is it that all this is happening to me and it feels like your life and your experience and your story is set apart so far from everyone else? Maybe you're here today and you've gone through something in your life and you're going, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't have a role to play in that. That wasn't my fault. And yet this is the path that was laid out before me. And you're going, why me? Why did God think I could handle this? Maybe you're here today and you've been dealing with a medical diagnosis and you're trying to figure out, man, what's going to happen here? Well, uh, there's, there's nothing I could have done. I had no say in this. This is some genetic thing I was born with and now I'm dealing with this the rest of my life. And you're kind of going, why me? What did I do? Because what we often do in our lives is we will look at blessing. We will look at good things that happen. We will look at them as blessing. Good things that happen to us are always blessings from God, even when those good things lead us to have changing character. Even when those good things that happen lead us to make poor decisions, we look at good things as blessings from God, and we tend to look at bad things in our life as punishment from God. And so what you can end up doing is you can walk through your life and when bad things happen, you find yourself going, why God, why me? But what you're really saying is, I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. But here's what I have found to be true in my life. God uses good things and bad things as blessing and God uses good things and bad things to teach you a lesson. And when God teaches you a lesson, it's a blessing. And so maybe the most difficult circumstance you're walking through in your life right now is not a punishment from God. It's not a curse from God. It's there to teach you or grow you or stretch you. It is there as a blessing for your life. But ultimately, every single one of us at some level, we will find ourselves asking this question, whether about ourselves or about our lives or about our experience, we will find ourselves going, why me? Well, I think the first answer to that we find in what we talked about last week. What did Mark Twain say? The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. So why me? Because you were created to glorify God. That's why you, because you were created to glorify God. Your life, my life, your life isn't about you. My life isn't about me. My life is about bringing glory and honor to Jesus. 
And so when I really understand that, when that really becomes incredibly clear in my mind, here's what happens. I start going, God, you can do whatever brings you glory and whatever brings you honor. God, I'm open. God, I'm open-handed. Whatever you want to give me and whatever you want to take away from me, if it brings honor and glory to your name, God, you do it. That's what can happen if we really understand why we're here. But that's not an easy thing. In fact, that's a thing that's far easier said than done. And so I want to share with you a little bit about my story. I want to share with you a little bit about my story. Um, I was born in 1980 in Miami, Florida. I'm not Southern by any means. I'm, I'm a South Floridian. Those are two very different things. There, there are other South Floridians here who can testify to that. Um, so, I grew up in the North Caribbean, not the southern part of the United States. And what that also means is that there's a part of me that I fell into cultural Christianity, but I fell into cultural Christianity in a very different way than it happens in the South. I grew up in a far more, um, I don't want to say Pentecostal, but a far more um, uh, Holy Spirit um, accepting uh, church in South Florida and Hollywood, Florida. And I grew up in a church with my whole family. And so at a certain point along the way, believing in Jesus and doing the things that God called you to do had nothing to do with believing in Jesus or have nothing to do with wanting to honor God. It had everything to do with the fact that all of my grandparents, all of my aunts and uncles, and all of my cousins were in the same church together. And my grandfather Arden, his, is a, you know, he spent his entire life as a carpenter. And I don't know what it is about the strength of his hands but my cousins and I would sit in a pew in this little church in Hollywood. And if we started to make noise during the service or started to not be paying attention to the sermon, my grandfather just indiscriminately would reach back and start flicking. And whoever he hit, they were somehow deserving. And when I tell you, you know, look, it was just these two fingers, but how, he could knock you out with, with a flick to the head. And so for me, following Jesus had very little to do with wanting to honor and glorify God. Following Jesus had everything to do with, Grandpa's going to flick me in the head. And so here's my question. How does this kid become a pastor? I'm, I'm telling you, that, 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 that is Owen. And by the way, Owen looks like every boy on the stone side of the family, you could look at the 15 kids across three generations and we all look identical, except I'm one of the shorter ones. Yeah. So how does this kid become a pastor? Or here's what happens. You, you grow up in an environment where you believe in Jesus and you believe Jesus is the son of God because that's what everyone has told you and your family has told you that and you love and trust your family. And so you believe that on, on, the, 
on the level you can only believe that in as a kid. As a kid, you believe it because everyone you love and trust also believes it. And so you believe it, but you believe it as much as you can. But here's what I understood about God. I believed because, again, my, the way I was informed about God was because all of my family is there watching me. And so when I think about God, as a kid, all I thought about was God watching me, ready to be angry and disapproving every time I sinned or broke one of his rules or his laws. So I was one of those kids who grew up, I grew up every single day re-praying for my salvation because I thought I lost my salvation every time I sinned. So every night I would go to sleep going, God, please save me all over again. I know I sinned today. I know I lied to mom about this. I, I know I stole this. I know I did this. So God, just please save me all over again. And so what that also meant is I was one of those kids as a teenager, as like a 12-year-old or 13-year-old, I would come home from being out playing with friends, and my dad would be on a bike ride, but his car would be in the driveway. And so my dad's car would be in the driveway, and I'd come into the house, Dad, 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 where are you? I couldn't find Dad. And my first response was not the logical Dad went on a bike ride. My first response was the rapture has come, and I was not taken because God saw what I did this morning. That is a knowing laugh. Some of y'all here to testify this morning and that was you too. Don't make me feel alone up here. And so by the time I was 16 or 17 years old, it wasn't that I stopped believing in God, but I thought God would only love me or only believe in me or only have plan and purpose for my life if I was perfect. And I knew that I couldn't be. And so somewhere around 16 or 17, it wasn't that I stopped believing God, somewhere around 16 or 17, I just went, I'm done trying. I'm done trying, because I can't do it, I can't be perfect. And then I went to a public university in the state university system of Florida. So I'm running away from God, running away from obedience to God, and I run in to the environment where you can run as far as you want. So how does this guy become a pastor? The guy in the khaki, sh in the khaki pants, in the blue top, that skinny guy right there, that's me. That, that's me 17 years and 60 pounds ago. This is what God does, and this is what I've discovered about the Jesus that we worship. I was running away from God, but God never stopped running after me. And God chased me to college campus. God chased me through... Major and major and major, God chased me through, what on earth are you doing dating her? God chased me through, why are you hanging out with that group of friends? God chased me through all of it. In my junior year at the University of Central Florida, I was living in an apartment with two guys that I knew from church. Because remember, I was still going to church because I grew up in an environment where grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and every aunt and uncle and every cousin is watching. 
we were in an apartment, and on Monday nights, we were doing a Bible study. And to give you an example of what Monday nights looked like for me during that period of life, Monday nights looked a lot like an hour Bible study with some friends that we had, followed by down to the sport bar for Monday night football, followed by whatever frat party, followed by, followed by, followed by. And in the spring semester of 2002, during my junior year of college, we were studying the book of Romans, one chapter a week. And we got to Romans chapter 7, and in Romans chapter 7, Paul says this, what a wretched man am I. There's all this stuff that I hate, and I keep doing the stuff that I hate. There's this stuff that I want to do. I want to serve God. I want to honor God. I want to please God. But no matter how much I want to do that, I can't seem to do it. And no matter how much I hate this, I keep running back to it. And it described my life perfectly. And so I was there as a 21-year-old at the University of Central Florida listening to this, and I went, Paul feels the same way that I do. He's trying and trying and trying and trying, and no matter how much he tries, he keeps failing. But we would read one chapter a week, and so the next week, I'm walking through my life like, man, well, hey, Paul felt the same way. Apparently, there's no help for any of us, and apparently, there's no point in any of us trying. And the following Monday night, we're sitting in the living room in our apartment. And we open up Romans chapter 8 that begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I understood what grace meant. I understood that God's love for us was not a family member peering over you into your life, shaking their head in disappointment at all of your decisions. Instead, I realized that I was fully, completely, and perfectly loved right where I was, just as I was, and loved too much to be left there. Thursday night of that week was Valentine's Day, and when you are a 21-year-old single guy on Valentine's Day, what do you do? You go to Taco Bell with your buddy Drew. That's what you do. That's right, living my best life. And so the Taco Bell at University of Central Florida's campus is so, is, is so busy that they actually have two windows. It's the only Taco Bell I've ever been to that has a pay window and a pick up your food window. And so here we are, me and Drew, we're in his truck. We have paid and now we're sitting there waiting to move up and get our food. And Drew looks over at me and just kind of, just nonchalantly, Rob, I want you to know we love you. Group of Christian guys who I was friends with. We love you, but you're the fakest guy we know. Because these guys who were a part of my life, they were seeing through the charade. They were seeing through the guy who was going to church on Sunday and going to Bible study on Monday night and then living like crazy the rest of the week. And there was no condemnation in it. It wasn't Drew going, and we hate you, and we don't ever want to be friends with you again. It was just this guy going, don't you know Jesus 
has more for you than that? Don't you know God has more for you than that? By the end of that semester, I had completely given my life to following Jesus. I was, I was serving with a campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ and um, had an opportunity just to continue to trust God, continue to kind of go, okay, God, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And again, no, nowhere, in, in any point in my imagination, nowhere was I thinking God's calling me to ministry. I just thought, hey, something's happening in my heart because of what God is doing. And as something's happening in my heart, I want to share that with people. I want to tell people about that. I, I want to invest in, in college students' lives the ways that this group of friends has invested in mine. After college, I moved to St. Augustine and got a job working for a construction company, not doing construction. I was the guy who sat in an office and wrote contracts, city mouse. Um, and uh, at the time, my parents were out of church, and my parents were actually teaching a, a college-age Sunday school class. And to give you an idea of what my parents thought about my wife, I was a year into dating another woman. I was a year into a relationship with a different woman. And while we were still together, my mom called me and she goes, you know, if you and her ever break up, there's a girl here in our Sunday school class we really like. It's how you know your mom doesn't like the person you're with. <laughs> hey, when things end tragically there as we're destined to, I moved back to St. Augustine, got a job with a construction company. Because I had just come out of three years at that time doing college ministry with Campus Crusade for Christ, I, I went to a church in St. Augustine, and the church said, hey, we have a college ministry, but we have zero guys. Because I don't know if you know this, but most college campuses in America are majority women. Women, women attend college like 60 to 40 against men. More women go to college and get graduate degrees than men do. And so college ministry is almost always female heavy. And so they had a college ministry, but it was all women. And they said, hey, we want to do something for guys, for college-age guys. Rob, this is where you're just coming out of. Hey, would you come on board and just help teach a men's Bible study? I said, sure. Working for a construction company, again, this didn't feel like calling. This didn't feel like God telling me, hey, here's what I want you to do with your life. This just looked like, hey, I'm working for a construction company, but you know what? This tiny little condo that I'm living in on Monday nights, we're going to open it up and we'll invite people in. And so it starts out at six college-age guys, and then by the end of that semester, there's 27 guys trying to squeeze in to this tiny little condo. And then people around the church started saying this to me. Have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I went, no. Are you kidding me? Me? No, never. Not a chance, not in a million years. They would never let me do that. I still don't know why you do. No, 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 of course not. I love, I love serving as a lay leader. No, not, God's not calling me to ministry. God's not calling me to ministry. I got so good at saying God's not doing this. And then I started dating Meg. And so then the question becomes, how does God use this couple? 
She's good looking, isn't she? I'll tell you. Meg is so attractive that when we walk down the street, I'm convinced people look at me and go, he must have money. <laughs> nope. Joke's on them. Um, Meg and I started dating, and uh, very quickly it became apparent this is different, and um, got engaged and got married. And we got married, she had just graduated from Flagler College and she was getting ready to be a teacher and I was, you know, making pretty good money working this construction company. This is 2006, we get married, market is starting to crumble a little bit, but things are going well, job's not in danger. We've been married exactly six months. And a couple that we know in love kind of calls up and says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Said, we don't have any plans. Hey, we're coming over for dinner. And, and when you know a couple that you've known for a long time and you have tremendous respect, this is a couple way older than us. They were mentors in our lives. And, and it was this thing of kind of going, did they just invite themselves over for dinner? And so immediately it's me calling Meg and be like, I think we're in trouble for something. I, I don't know what we did, but, but we're about to be yelled at. And so they come over for dinner, and they just go, Rob and Meg, we, um, we think you should lead the college ministry for the church. You should come on staff and start leading college ministry. And now it's about four years of going, no. No, that's not what God is calling me to do. And eventually it just became that thing where ultimately I had to go, you know what? If we say no, who's, who's the plan B? Who are they looking to get to do this? And then we heard the name, and then it was Meg and I going, well, look, God's not calling us into ministry, but we at least have to do this for a year because we can't let them get that person. I'm not gonna share names. And so... It was, it was not saying yes to life and ministry. It wasn't saying yes to a calling. It was, it was giving God a very narrow window and saying, all right, God, we'll give you one year and then you gotta fix this. One year turned into three, turned into God opened up a door for me to go to seminary, opened up a door for me to do this and do this and do this. And at some point along the way, people started going, so what did your calling, what, what was your calling? And I still don't know. And this is a weird thing to confess to you as your pastor. I don't know what calling looks like. I read scripture and I see God very clearly and audibly say to someone, Moses, go to Pharaoh. This is God's voice in my head. Let my people go. That's never happened to me. It's never been that clear. But here's what has happened over and over again in my life. Doors have opened. And then God gave a sense of peace about walking through them. A door opened. It wasn't a door opened and suddenly there were shining golden lights. Oh! There was no hallelujah chorus. 
It was just a door that opened. And the door opened, and Meg and I would talk about it, and we'd pray about it. And there was a weird sense of peace. And I don't know how else to explain it, but it's, it's that weird sense of peace. Like, this shouldn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This shouldn't feel like the right thing to do. And yet, somehow, a door would open, and we'd walk through it. And so here's what I've discovered. For me, calling is where peace and opportunity meet. Calling is where peace and opportunity meet. And so that's not just for me in terms of my call to ministry. That's for all of us, I believe. I believe that's true for all of us. There are opportunities in your life, and those opportunities come along, and God grants a strange sense of peace about stepping into that opportunity. That's calling. That's calling. Because what happens is we, we love and worship a God who we believe created the universe. He's in control of all things. And we're going, all right, God opened up a door. And there's a peace about walking through it. Now, sometimes a door opens and we want to believe there's a sense of peace about walking through it. Sometimes a door opens and we're like, I've got to walk through that door. Come on, i got to walk through that door. But we never take time to talk about it. We never take time to pray about it. We never take time to really sit with the decision and ask God, God, is this what you're doing in my life? And so if you're anything like me, when there are some times when the door has opened and you've been so eager to run through it that you were, you were 30 feet into a brand new opportunity before you stopped and went, oh no, we went the wrong way. This was not where God wanted us to be. And sometimes in life, walking through that door because we were so eager to walk through it because we wanted it to be God's will for our life, sometimes that will lead us to some really ugly places. And so in my life, calling is the place where peace and opportunity meet. It's where peace, a peace where you stop where you consider, where you pray, where you bring mentors in, people who have a voice in your life, people who are allowed to speak truth to you, and it doesn't matter whether or not you get your feelings hurt. It's the place where the peace of God and opportunity meet. And I think it's so important because for every single one of us, no matter how much you trust God, no matter how much you believe in God, there will come an opportunity in your life where an opportunity will come, God will give a sense of peace, but as soon as you start stepping into that opportunity, you're going to get scared. And so that's why we need the peace of God because it gives us this beautiful picture that we see in Philippians 4.7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But here's the ugly truth about calling. It's been the continual ugly truth about my calling, and I know myself well enough to know it's also been the truth about your calling somewhere along the way. The call of God does not always alleviate doubt. The call of God does not always alleviate doubt. In fact, I would go a step further. I would say in some cases, the call of God exacerbates doubt. Sometimes God calls and we go, no chance, you got the wrong guy, not in a million years, never. 
And so maybe you're like me, and God has to use people and opportunities and situations to continue to hit you over the head over and over again. Hey, this is what I want from you. Hey, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. Until finally you run out of excuses to say no. I think about Moses. When God calls Moses, his first five responses are excuses. But God, I don't, but God, I can't, but God, I don't do, but God, what are they, what, God, what if they don't? At a certain point along the way in Exodus, God just goes, I said so. And Moses goes, will you send my brother with me at least? We, we imagine Moses is this great, strong leader, but when you read Exodus and you see his early encounters with his calling, it looks like terror. And so I'm here to tell you, don't be ashamed if that's your story. Don't be ashamed if the call of God has produced doubt in you or has led to more doubt in you. You're in some pretty good company. You're in some pretty good company. This is Judges chapter 4, I believe, 6. Now the angel of the Lord came while Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So when we're first introduced to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, what is defining Gideon? He's afraid. He's hiding. He's doing a task, but he's doing a task in secret because he doesn't want his enemy to see. He's afraid. So Gideon, in our first encounter with him, is defined by his fear. And what does God say to him in verse 14? And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. And Gideon's going, are you, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm beating out wheat hiding inside of a wine press. In this might of mine? Really, God? That's a sick sense of humor you have. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Translation... I'm the last person you would ever pick to do this. In my experience, in my experience, God uses the least qualified. In my experience, God uses the least likely. In my experience, God calls you despite yourself, not because of it. So Gideon receives the call of God, and the call of God produces in him doubt. So if that's you today, that's okay. It's all right. The other thing that I have found to be true about calling is this reality. We are all called. Every single one of us is called, and we are all called to the same purpose. Why? Because every single one of us was created with a purpose. What's our purpose? To glorify God. We were all called with the same purpose. I don't care. 
no matter what you do, no matter what your job is, no matter what your career is, no matter what you've been doing with your life, you have been called to glorify God there. You've been called to glorify God with it. It's why it's so beautiful to read those words out of Colossians chapter three from last week. In whatever you do, do it to glorify God. Whatever you do, do it to glorify God. So every single one of us was called with the same purpose, but, and you need to hear this, we do not receive the same call. The hard part for us is we want to live someone else's life. We want, to, we want to live someone else's life all the time. We look at someone else's experience. We look at someone else's relationship. We look at someone else's job. We look at what someone else has, and we start going, I want that life. I want that life. And if we're not careful, what we will end up doing is we will get on the same path that someone else is walking on, and we will walk in their calling rather than in our calling. But God didn't make you to be a poor copy of someone else. God made you with purpose and calling. God made you for a reason. If God wanted two of that guy, he would have made him a twin. God made you with unique purpose and unique calling. And we know this. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, and some to be teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so even in a call to ministry, even in a call to ministry, he's going, you don't all get the same calling. Each of your calling is unique. Each of your calling is different. You have the same purpose. Your purpose is unifying. Your purpose is all the same, but your calling is different because God made you to be unique. God didn't make you to be a copy of someone else. And so the call of God is hyper-personalized. The call of God is hyper-personalized. And I'll tell you where this is the biggest struggle for me. I don't know what my calling is going to look like in 10 years. I'd like to. I'd, I'd love to tell you as a church, I'd love to tell you, hey, this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. Come on. This is where we're going to be in 15 years. I have no clue. I don't. I, I, I don't have the answers. And the reason I don't is because in my experience with God, God's giving me enough calling. God's given me enough visibility. He's given me enough clarity to take the next step. God's given me enough visibility to go from here to here. And in my life, as I have trusted him to take those steps, once I take that step, he gives me the next step. But that's all he's ever given me. That's all he's ever given me. All God has ever given me is enough faith, enough trust, enough visibility to take the next step. And then the next step. 
And so the hard part for me, and I imagine the hard part for you, is I want to know where I'm going. I want to know where I'm headed. God, what's in store for me? God, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? God, what's going to be happening in the church in 15 years? God, what are, what's my marriage going to look like in 20 years? I want all the answers. And God's going, no, no. I want you to take this step. I've got the answers. You take the next step. I've got the answers. You take the next step. I know where you're going. You take the next step. But that's not what I want. I don't want the footlit path. I don't want the single flashlight looking down at my feet going, here we go, here we go. You know what I want? I want the super highway. I want the nine lane wide lights the whole length. No matter what you're driving in, you see exactly where you're going, you know where you're going, and you can go at really high speeds, and you can go faster and faster and faster. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to get there quick and know exactly where you're going? But this is what Psalm 119, 105 says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's telling us that his word gives us enough visibility to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step. I've never felt good enough I've never felt qualified. I've never felt like the right guy. It still blows my mind that I get to be a pastor because I wouldn't have chosen me. But as a 21-year-old in 2002 at the University of Central Florida, God gave me enough light to take this step. And then enough light to take this step. And then enough light to take this step. And somewhere along the way, in taking step after step and trusting Jesus, this is where I am. And so I don't know what calling looks like for you. I barely know what calling looks like for me, but I know no matter what God is calling you into, I know no matter what God is doing in your life, that it won't be as fast as you want it to be. It won't be as clear as you want it to be. But if you'll take the next step, if you'll take the next step in trusting Jesus, if you'll take the next step in obedience, I promise you the God that we worship will give you enough light for your next step and for your next step and for your next step. And at some point in your life, you'll be able to look back at the path that you have journeyed. And you'll go, I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd be here. That's what God does. He gives us enough light to trust him so that he can take us to where we didn't even know to want to go. 
And the reason that he does that, the reason that he wants it to be slow, the reason that he wants it to be step-by-step in trusting him is because God didn't make you to travel on someone else's path. God made you to be a trailblazer. God made you to carve out new paths and new roads. God made you to go places no one has ever been before. Because God made you on purpose and with purpose. So I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what your calling is. I barely know what mine is. But can I challenge us as a church to do this? Would we be willing to trust Jesus with the next step? I'm not telling you to trust him with a life in front of you. I'm not telling him, I'm not telling you to trust him with this calling. I'm not telling you to trust him with I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this. I'm just asking, church, would we be a people who are willing to go, God, you've given me enough visibility for the next step, and so I'm going to take it. And I'm going to take that step trusting that you will bring the answers for when I'm there. Because I love being your pastor, but I don't have the answers. I just know what it's like to trust him enough to take the next step. And so if I could challenge you to do anything today, if I could implore you to do anything today, there's there's something in your mind, there's something in your life and people you love and trust God's been putting something in the back of your mind. God's been tapping on your shoulder with something for a long, long time, and you've been fighting it, and you've been saying no. You've been saying never in a million years. I wonder today if you'd be willing not to step into the fullness of it, but would you be willing to trust Jesus enough to say, I'll take the first step. I'll take the first step, and Jesus, I believe you're going to give me enough light to take the next one because he hasn't failed me yet. And I promise he won't fail you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Jesus, we love you. God, we praise you. We praise you that you give us enough light to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step because God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus, we believe in you trust you enough to walk into whatever you are calling us into, no matter what it looks like. Jesus, we trust in you. God, we pray this for the glory and the honor of your name.